The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says no vote on $2,000 stimulus checks. This even as Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue race toward the Georgia runoff finish line. And they say they're in favor of $2,000 stimulus checks. All of that, plus Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, gets vaccinated earlier today in the district. We've got every angle covered. We begin tonight with the big story. President-elect Joe Biden saying earlier today that his tell-it-like-it-is update on the coronavirus includes a list of I told you's. First saying that he believes the death toll of Americans due to the coronavirus would reach 400,000 by the time President Trump leaves office in January. Next, he went on to bash the Trump administration for failing to come through on their promise of 20 million vaccines by the end of the year. And we've got sound on that right here. The pace of vaccine, the vaccination program is moving now uh, as it, if it continues to move as it is now. It's going to take years, not months, to vaccinate the American people. Meanwhile, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris being vaccinated in the nation's capital with her husband earlier today. I've now been vaccinated, as Joe likes to say. There's a big difference between the vaccine and vaccinations. I want to encourage everyone to get the vaccine. Elsewhere on Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blocking a vote put forth by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on the floor today that would have increased the stimulus payments to $2,000, this despite a, a ardent push from President Donald Trump. Here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Those are the three important subjects the president has linked together. This week, the Senate will begin a process to bring these three priorities into focus. Nancy Cook is a Bloomberg White House reporter. She joins us via telephone. She was with Vice President-elect Kamala Harris when she was vaccinated. Nancy, it seems that the Biden, the incoming Biden administration wanted to talk about vaccines today. But what will they be doing differently that they've outlined in order to get more people vaccinated? Well, I think that what happened, what we saw today with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Vice President-elect Harris is she went to a um, predominantly African-American community uh, in Washington, D.C. to talk not just about, um, 
you know, the need to get a vaccine and sort of the distribution issues, which Biden talked about later today, but just to try to encourage uh, people, different minority groups, just everyone around the country that they should get vaccinated and that it's it's important and try to sort of allay some of people's nervousness about getting the vaccine. She stressed that it was very easy. She barely felt it. Um, and that was a very purposeful thing to do it in this um you know, African-American community in D.C. And then later we heard from President Biden outlining all of the steps that he was going to take, like trying to ensure that people wore masks during the first 100 days of his administration. Um, Most interestingly, I thought he said he would use the Defense Production Act to ramp up the tools that they need to make the vaccine. The Trump administration had had been very reluctant to use the Defense Production Act to, um, you know, get supplies or PPE going. But it sounds like the Biden administration is going to move forward with that. And so today was really about how they're going to deal with COVID, which is going to be one of the key issues they face when they take office. And meanwhile, I mean, to this point that Vice President-elect Kamala Harris spoke to Nancy about there being a trust in the vaccine. I mean, I, I, I've said it before on this program. I mean, the the, to- the political water cooler talk for months now that everyone's asking everyone is, are you going to get the vaccine once it is made available? This is not like getting an update to your iPhone. I mean, this is something that has been researched even before the pandemic, but something that has been researched for more than a decade, this particular strain of a virus. So what could be done from a policy standpoint, but in addition to the emergency use authorization that they're talking about on Capitol Hill, such as more funding for a national type of conversation, and this has Republican support as well, as you know, Nancy, to, to, to use the Ad Council, for example, in order to get trust in the vaccine. Clearly, this was something that the Biden administration views as important. Well, I think that what they're trying to do is just set an example with their own leadership. You know, we saw um, the president-elect and his wife get vaccinated on camera. We saw Harris get vaccinated this morning. Uh, whenever we see them, we see them wearing masks. We see if the people around them wearing masks. They're really trying to showcase through their own actions the best practices. And that is a change from the Trump administration, where sometimes people wear masks, sometimes they don't. Very often the president himself doesn't wear masks. He downplays it. And so I think that in addition to sort of laying out plans, policy plans like the Defense Production Act, or trying to talk more about how you will uh, ramp up vaccine distribution to the states, I think they're just also trying to model good behavior. Meanwhile, of 16 countries that have begun administering vaccines, there have been 4.6 estimated vaccines administered worldwide, 2.13 million vaccines administered in the United States alone. Uh, the United States is uh, has, has administered the most vaccines of those countries. Elsewhere on the virus front, New York City has administered 67,000 plus COVID vaccine doses as of yesterday evening, about 17% of the total delivered to the most populous U.S. city. Arizona, meanwhile, recording the most deaths since July. The EU is going to get an extra uh, 100 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Nancy Cook's with me, Bloomberg White House reporter. Let's pivot now to Capitol Hill, where, of course, uh, Leader McConnell said that there is not going to be a vote on the $2,000 aid checks. What's the reaction been from the White House? Well, I think that the White House, you know, the President Trump was so disengaged from the stimulus package um, until really over the weekend after some intense lobbying by senators and just um, 
you know, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, the treasury secretary, friends of his. And, and really, you know, he was the one that was pushing the idea that it should be a larger stimulus check. We saw the Georgia Senate candidates um, coming on board with that idea. But it's an idea that Mitch McConnell basically threw water on today, threw cold water on today. It's not something that it looks like they're going to move forward with. They're going to go home again at the end of the week. And so it seems like you know, more Republicans would have been able, would have had to join the Democrats for that to move forward, and it doesn't look like that's going to move forward. It looks like, you know, President Trump remained completely disengaged on the stimulus for a long time before cluing into it, and now it seems like he's not going to get his wish on um, on those bigger checks for people. And yet it could open up a door for the Biden administration to look at the Republicans who backed this and said— Hey, in the first 100 days, and we're talking about another round of economic relief, maybe come on board with us. Final minute and a half that I have left with you, uh, Nancy Cook, uh, Bloomberg White House reporter. I got to ask you about January 6th. Coming up, we'll talk about the Georgia runoff. But how has Leader McConnell been navigating through the certification of the Electoral College vote publicly and privately? Do we know any details? Well, I'm working on a story about that now, so that's a great question, Kevin. Awesome. But I think it's, Thank you. it's not it's <laughs> not just McConnell who's working through it. It's also the Vice President Mike Pence um, because yes. it puts yes. him in such such a tricky position where um, you know he really has tried to shy away from all of the president's conspiracy theories about election fraud um, while also appearing to be a good soldier um, and and someone who's loyal to the president and so and what keeping be, his options open for 2024. Totally. I mean, it's such a key moment for him. And so in addition to what McConnell's doing, I'm really just going to be watching what Pence does. You know, Pence basically hightailed it out of town and is in Vail, Colorado, <laughs> with his family now. But he's going to have to come back and face this before going on another trip. And so I am most interested, I think, to watch how he positions himself next week and, and sort of how the president reacts to that. The president has not been reacting well to people who he perceives are disloyal to him with all of these elections conspiracy ideas. And so how does he react if if Pence doesn't do what he wants? I think it's a real open question. And could they primary each other in 2024? The intrigue never <laughs> never ends. But I have to be honest, as a political presidential politics junkie, I have to be candid here. All of this issues with the $2,000 checks and Senator Josh Hawley coming out in favor for it. You've got the Vice President Mike Pence angle, President Trump's angle for his political options and the populist streak of conservatism versus Senator Cruz's concerns of $27 trillion in debt. Nancy Cook, we are political junkies and that's why we love to do what we do. I'm thrilled to have you as a colleague, Nancy. Welcome to the team. Bloomberg White House reporter, uh, just an all-star reporter and please look out for that article. I know I will be as well on the Bloomberg Terminal. Coming up next we pivot to markets. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up in the next hour, Max Burns joins me along with Scott Tranner. We'll talk all things on the stimulus front. Really fascinating storylines emerging that will set us up for the beginning of the next 
midterm and presidential election cycle, with Leader McConnell rebuffing President Trump and the Democrats by blocking $2,000 stimulus aid check votes. But first, let's get a check on what's been going on in the markets, because the markets were reacting to that, folks. Uh, earlier today, the U.S. stocks pulled back from record highs, with small cap shares posting their biggest drop in a month as prospects faded. For bigger government aid checks to individuals, the dollar week in the Russell 2000 index tumbled almost 2%, while the S&P 500 finished only slightly lower. And a gauge of global equities was set to close at a record after the U.S. House backed President Donald Trump's proposal to boost aid checks for individuals, but pulled back from its high of the day as Senate Republicans blocked an attempt by Democrats to increase the direct payments to $2,000 from 600 I still can't stress this point enough. The Republicans who joined on board for that, really forecasting to the incoming Biden administration that they would be willing, willing to uh, negotiate with them in his first 100 days. Kriti Gupta is with me, Bloomberg Markets Live reporter. Kriti, welcome back to the program. Looks like the markets didn't like the leader McConnell block of the $2,000 checks. Absolutely. Well, it's consensus on Wall Street that that $600 amount just won't be enough. It's not going to be enough to churn the economy. It's really just going to head right into people's savings account, if not right under their mattress. So this idea that we really need that $2,000 stimulus check is something that Wall Street was really waiting for. A good sign that it got those votes from uh, some, some of the Republicans, a bad sign, especially for those small cap stocks when uh, Mitch McConnell blocked that vote. Well, let's take a listen to some reaction on this, because we've got sound on this from Adam Posen. And I spoke with him earlier today, along with my colleague Taylor Riggs, uh, on Balance of Power. We were filling in for David Weston. Take a listen to what he said. If you designed this from the start, you would have wanted more emphasis on needs, mm-hmm. on, on state and local government, on unemployed people, on evictions. You already have some of that, but have more of that, on loans to small business, not based on giving everybody a check. That was Adam Posen, who is the president of the Peterson Institute for International Economics and has been since January 2013. Uh, and Kriti Gupta, I mean, uh, you know, you hear that in terms of how much emphasis there needs to be uh, on state and local government, on unemployed people, on evictions. I mean, you hear it right there, the need for more stimulus. Absolutely. And it's, it's not just coming to, I mean, you heard him say, talk about like targeted areas. So, of course, the stimulus measure of course, takes apart a lot of these sectors. So it does allocate $15 billion to airline aid, for example, but there's still more airline aid needed. So it's kind of this idea that you're seeing across the sectors, this idea that the amount for PPP loans wasn't enough, that even though we saw this $2.2 trillion spending slash stimulus bill, at the end of the day, it's still not enough to weather what we might see in the first quarter of 2021, which is essentially more lockdowns, a more severe virus situation. And it certainly won't be enough to warrant the growth that a lot of investors are pricing into the second quarter of 2021, where people are expecting widespread vaccine distribution and they're expecting uh, this kind of explosive growth. And right now, there seems to be the disconnect between this awful first quarter and this great second quarter. And the kind of transition to that is being lost in a lot of investors. And that's where the stimulus really comes in, the need for those extra rounds of aid. And that's really why a lot of the emphasis now is being put on those Senate runoff races to say how easily can stimulus be passed in the future if uh, all three parts of the government are controlled by Democrats. It'll be a battle, no doubt. But I think you've raised a really smart 
point in terms of the expectations that the market is trying to price in. I mean, when you've got President-elect Joe Biden saying that he's going to, uh, his administration will oversee the administering of 100 million vaccine in his first 100 days, that's a that's a marked goal. And so whether or not his administration is able to do that, that's a goal that they've put out for themselves. Let's look at some optimistic data. Uh, on an up note, U.S. growth stocks are outperforming their value in the final month of the year. Why? Well, it has to do with, the, with that defensive trade. And I hate to make a positive note a negative note, but a lot of this is just <laughs> cautious investing. I mean, you're seeing companies like Apple, like Amazon, Microsoft, these are the companies that are getting the bid, right? So these are the companies that people think are sure things, they're investments, they're havens. So going into 2021, they're taking the, some of those sure thing investments. The good news that comes out of it is the people whose pension accounts are exposed to the S&P 500, which is the majority of the United States of America, they're actually getting uh, quite a lot of gains going into the end of the year. Let's go geopolitical for a second. There's been so much of a narrative building on the investor uh, front coming from China and with the Communist Party of China's decision uh, to try to break up uh, uh, Jack Ma's aunts and a group. I- I- I'm curious, what was the day two reaction of that on the on the market front? Well, extremely positive when uh, the Ant company was said, said came out and said that uh, they're actually turning their company into a holding company. It would actually restrict some of their gains, so kind of doing uh, what some of the things that the Chinese authorities were worried about, just that it was getting too big too fast. What it does, on the other hand, is that even though it does restrict those gains for itself, it does deal um, with some of the restrictions that the Chinese authorities wanted, so some of that antitrust scrutiny. So once again, good news, and it was very clear, not just in the Asian price action, but you saw it over here as well, not just Alibaba, which is the company that was directly affected, but of course you saw uh, some of its peers, like JD, for example. Um, any of those kind of Chinese internet companies that were listed in the United States did really well today. And it's pretty interesting because tech in the U.S. is going through kind of a similar battle. You've seen Washington really come down and say, these tech companies are getting too big. But right now, just given the environment that we're in, that kind of battle against big tech here in the States has kind of been put on pause saying, let's just get the economy recovering first. Then we'll talk about taxation and regulation down the road. Was there any reaction in terms of other companies uh, about how they're faring? Maybe that they're that they're connected somehow to, to Ant, especially as it relate, and I put this to Adam Posen earlier, but as it relates to to foreign investment coming into China, I mean, if the the way the process of which Europe and the United States deals with some of these regulatory hurdles is very different, uh, is an understatement than the Communist Party uh, deals with um, matters. Uh, and so, I guess, it, have we noticed any of those concerns when you talk to investors when you when you read some of their notes, Kriti Gupta? Yeah, absolutely. So you're not going to see it initially in the stock returns, you know, intraday. But what you are seeing is this narrative of kind of risk you could see back in 2021, especially when it brings back kind of those trade war tensions that never really fully got solved. That's a really important issue that people are going to be looking at. And it has a lot to do with tech, because if you'll remember, one of the pieces of the testimony that the U.S., um, I believe it was the Senate, that these big CEOs of uh, tech companies were testifying at the Senate, one of the arguments they made was that their technology was a point of defense in terms of against China and uh, in terms of its other uh, kind of country. So this idea here that you don't actually maybe want to break up U.S. big tech while maybe the Chinese big tech companies are going through these hurdles, there is that narrative out there that, hey, well, maybe this is actually kind of a geopolitical strategy, maybe a point of defense that we can do 
by using Silicon Valley and kind of saying, well, we'll push off the regulation down the road. But once again, that's just one narrative I've heard. There's so many out there. I mean, it's been fascinating to watch Kriti Gupta, just how many uh, analysis and takes there have been uh, across the board about what the Communist Party of China's decision means for whether or not it will attract or deter foreign investment and what it means, of course, for San Francisco. Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg Markets Live reporter. Thank you so much, Kriti, for making time for us uh, to break down another uh, impactful day up on Wall Street. Coming up, uh, we'll talk more about the virus, and we've got some breaking news. Colorado finds the first U.S. case of the U.K. COVID-19 variant, this according to a tweet from the governor of Colorado. Again, headline crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, red headline crossing the terminal. Colorado has found that variant strain of the virus. Coming up next, much more. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell rebuffs President Trump and Democrats and will not allow a vote for the $2,000 stimulus checks. This, as President-elect Joe Biden says, that there needs to be a change of course on administering the vaccinations. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris gets a vaccine. We've got a lot to get through, an all-star panel. We begin tonight on Capitol Hill, where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today speaking on the Senate floor, providing clarity over the next seven days. First and foremost, the leader said that he would, in fact, be holding a vote within the next 24 hours to to override President Trump's decision to veto the Defense Authorization Act. That vote expected sometime on Wednesday. Secondly, Leader McConnell not allowing for there to be a vote on $2,000 stimulus checks despite President Trump's support for such a measure in the final week of the negotiations and albeit after lawmakers had reached a deal. Elsewhere, thirdly, Leader McConnell still keeping close to vest how precisely he will handle the January 6th ratification of the Electoral College votes, not addressing it head-on publicly. This as President Trump continues to circulate unfounded claims of a false election 
counts. We have sound on this speech in particular from coming from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. Here he is. Those are the three important subjects the president has linked together. This week, the Senate will begin a process to bring these three priorities into focus. Meanwhile, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer also spoke. Here's what he had to say. $2,000 stimulus checks could mean the difference between American families having groceries for a few extra weeks or going hungry. Max Burns is a Democratic strategist, a contributor at The Daily Beast and The New York Daily News, as well as The Independent. Scott Tranter is CEO of Optimus and the former data science director for Marco Rubio's for president's uh, 2016 presidential campaign. Scott, I want to begin with you because the divide in the Republican Party on whether or not individuals are supporting these $2,000 stimulus checks has become in many ways a, a clear a starting point for the next four-year cycle. Yeah, no, it's it's this is this is the kickoff to uh, the legislative battles we're going to see for the next two four years, especially given that given how close the House is, um, and the you know the Democrats have a much wider caucus. They've got to they've got to keep everyone in line. I think I think I think we're looking at the opening salvo of how difficult legislation is going to be, especially from the Democratic side over the next couple of years. Max Burns, I mean, the the reaction coming from from Democrats uh, is uh, what I'm hearing optimistic that because there was significant and I do say significant uh, centrist and moderate Republican support for these two thousand dollar stimulus checks, that maybe there could be a, a more optimism for the negotiations for a Biden administration in their first 100 days for economic relief. Max, do you agree with that? There absolutely is support, and we've seen it uh, in that vote, bipartisan in scope. Uh, the challenge is in the Senate, uh, even and especially under a President Biden, uh, Leader McConnell has just made clear that there is zero urgency behind any of these very time-sensitive measures. And if there's no urgency when the Republican president and the Republicans in the House are demanding it, uh, I can't imagine he's going to feel more inclined to work with Joe Biden than he, he has been right now. Well, let me follow up with you right there, Max, because so much riding on the Georgia runoff elections and and we've been talking about it from every angle. But I was struck by Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler coming out to support the two thousand dollar stimulus checks. And, And our Nancy Cook reporting that Senator Perdue went so far as to call President Trump on Christmas Day to urge him to back uh this the to sign rather the economic stimulus deal i mean this is really playing in the closing arguments but all four of the candidates down in georgia want two thousand dollar stimulus checks max burns and it's a little bit less surprising uh, to me when you look at the politics of this issue uh, it is really a tough thing to stand and say in a tight race i don't want you to have uh, the stimulus you need. I mean, in Georgia, as in Kentucky and, and around the country, uh, the median rent in Georgia is about $800 a month. And there are almost 100,000 unemployed people who are in dire need of this support. So it, it seemed to me that it would only be a matter of who would get out first with the statement saying that this was something they support. Because it's, it's an easy way to lose a close race to alienate that kind of voting bloc. Scott Trainer, yeah. how do you think that in the closing arguments, the two thousand dollars stimulus checks is playing in Georgia? 
I think it's playing real well, I, and it's it's interesting. Max brings up a good point. I mean, both Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue have kind of been um, tacking to the populist Republican um, point of view, especially the last month or so. And it, it is it is popular. Two thousand dollars is very popular, no matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Um, today, there was a brand new poll by Trafalgar, which is a, a Republican conservative leaning pollster, had both Warnock and Ossoff up. Um, I, my understanding is the internals are also very close. Um, we all know what the polling error was just a couple months ago. Uh, by all accounts, this is a 50-50 race. And so, you know, if you're Senator Loeffler or Senator Purdue, I, I'm not surprised that they they uh, publicly came out for it and pushed for it because it's much easier to be for something like that, especially in times like this, than it is against. Um, and so while it sounds a little bit off-brand, it, it really is on-brand if you've been watching their campaigns. Scott Trainer, you know the data better than anybody. You're saying that the data has this as a toss-up? Yeah. Yeah, both the data, both the public data and the private data I'm seeing is this one's a toss-up, which is which is I'm surprised to say that given you know Georgia fundamentally is a is, is a conservative state, um, but we're looking at turnout to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five million. The last time there was a runoff, a contested runoff like this was 2008, and the turnout was about two two million. So the turnout skyrocketed. It's obviously mail-in voting. Georgia had some, um, you know, by and large their their election was was pretty well run, but they had some some issues um, taking a little bit longer to count. This, this, we're, we're headed for a redux of, of uh, election night in November where this could take a little while and the, and the race is going to be close. Do you think that President Trump's decision to question the integrity of elections will hurt Republicans in the sense that more Republicans won't turn out to vote, Scott? Yeah, I think I, I don't think it'll be the difference. Well, I guess if it's a few hundred votes, it could be the difference maker. I, I don't think it's going to force tens of thousands of people to stay home, stay home. Um, but it's going to force more than zero to question it and maybe stay home. Um, someone's going to believe it. More than zero people are going to believe that. So, so I, I, I do think it will have a, a small effect on it. But I, I don't think it'll be the difference maker. Um, but yeah, it can't. It's not helpful. It's going to be really interesting, and we're going to have uh, special coverage on uh, on uh, the Georgia runoff election night across Bloomberg Television as well as Bloomberg Radio. I've just received word from our hardworking, indefatigable executive producer, Christine Barada, that Congressman John Katko is going to be joining us this hour. He's a Republican representing New York's 24th Congressional District, and he is uh, a previously was the assistant United States attorney who led the organized crime division at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Syracuse. We have a lot to talk about with him on the stimulus front as well as, of course, on the cybersecurity front. Panel's going to stay with me for the next block as well. Max Burns as well as Scott Trancer. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We have to talk more about the coronavirus because a red headline crossed the Bloomberg Terminal within the last 15 or so minutes in which the governor of Colorado has tweeted out that they have found their first case 
of the UK COVID-19 strain. That strain that UK scientists had found has now been found, as has been expected, in the state of Colorado. It comes at a time in which President-elect Joe Biden has been increasingly critical of the administration's current administration's handling of the coronavirus vaccination distribution. Now, we should note that in the United States, more than 2 million vaccines have already been administered to frontline workers since December 16th when the vaccine became available in the United States. This is more than any of the 16 uh, countries in which vaccines have begun being distributed. Uh, The U.S. ranks number one. Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that the U.S. is lagging behind where they had wanted to be at this particular juncture. But we've got sound on tape from um, President-elect Joe Biden speaking earlier today about the vaccination process. I want to play it for you. Here it is. And the pace of the vaccination program is moving now, uh, as it it continues to move as it is now. It's going to take years, not months, to vaccinate the American people. Meanwhile, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and her husband received a vaccine uh, earlier today in Washington, D.C., and she spoke briefly uh, and issued this comment. I have now been vaccinated, as Joe likes to say. There's a big difference between the vaccine and vaccinations. I want to encourage everyone to get the vaccine. Max Burns, Democratic strategist, Scott Trainer, CEO of Optimus and former data science director for Marco Rubio for president's campaign. Uh, Max, I'll start with you. I mean, in terms of the in terms of the picture that president-elect Biden is painting, it's pretty grim. Is it he's lowering the bar before he takes office? In, in the sense, 2.13 million vaccines have already been distributed in the last couple of weeks. And this is, uh, I think, Joe Biden being realistic with the American people and trusting people to understand the severity of the situation that we face. And my guess is one of the major priorities that Biden is sort of working on behind the scenes now is a sort of large scale public relations blitz. Uh, once his presidency begins featuring celebrities, influencers, media figures to really try and drive uh, momentum behind this immunization campaign. Because without it, as, as the president-elect said, it's going to take years to get to where we need to be. Scott Tranter, it, you know, when I talk to Republicans, some of them quietly feel President Trump has stepped on himself in the past couple of weeks by raising other issues instead of touting the success of a vaccine getting out into the United States by the end of the year, Scott. Do you agree with that? What are the uh, less what is the data showing us about where the Republican Party is on this issue? Yeah, look, if you if you look at the polling data on who on who they credit with the vaccine, um, even Democrats begrudgingly, I'm sure it's begrudgingly, it's hard to t- tell in a poll across them. They agree that, you know, the vaccine was developed under a Trump administration. So there is some credit there. Um, I, I don't know anything about epidemiology and medicine, but I but I do believe what I what I read that, you know, it's really hard to build these things. They take tens of years. And, you know, the virus has been around for a year and we have two working vaccines that the the FDA said um, is, uh, is is good to put in your arm, and so I, I think that's a that's a feat. And you know the doctors and the organizations and the government, um, and ultimately the president who funded and you know and oversaw warp speed, uh, you know can take some credit with that. Um, that 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 would be a, a good note to leave on. Um, and the fact that you know that's that hasn't been the message for the last month is a little bit confounding to me as well. 
Do you think that in terms of, of where the the midterm and, and the, the four year cycle heads, Scott, do you think that you that that President Trump's supporters in the political class, especially those looking to inherit his political movement, should he decide not to run again in twenty twenty four, will try how, how will they navigate that? And I mean I'm 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 talking around it a little bit, but how will they navigate through the 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 tr- what has become a treacherous treacherous narrative for for President Trump in the final weeks of his office? You know what? It remains to be seen. I think you're going to see a lot of folks. You know, the, the nice thing about history is it kind of smooths itself over. And I think the the argument will be is by and large the Trump administration. Um, you know, the vaccine was developed under the Trump administration. There was a there was a rocky handoff between one administration and the other. Um, but the hard part, getting the vaccine done inside of a year um, and approved by the FDA, was was done under his watch. Um, I, I think that's probably going to be the, the the macro look back at it, and probably what the messaging is going to be before it. It's just going to conveniently forget what the last month or so looked like. Max Burns, if President-elect Biden does not have 100 million vaccines administered in his first 100 days, how much of a problem will that pose for his presidency? I think for a presidency, uh, that's tough to say. On a personal level, I think for a lot of people who uh, were supporting Joe Biden as a way to sort of start taking this seriously, it would be very disappointing and it would be a huge setback. Uh, But this also requires government to sort of work in tandem here. We can't just have Joe Biden out on a roadshow trying to inoculate everyone himself. Uh, We need the resources and the, the spirit of government here to actually get some momentum behind this. So what, so what, Go ahead. No, Scott, go ahead. I, I, I was going to add that when, when I had heard that the, you know, the Biden administration was going to 100 million in the first 100 days. I mean, if you, I mean, that's that's a great goal and that's what people are going to be hinged on. But that requires millions of vaccines to be done a day. Um, and we're just not there yet. And I think that's I mean, it's I, I don't think it's anyone's fault at this point. It's just much harder to get a shot into someone's arm than it is to manufacture tens of thousands of things in a vial vials and ship them out. I think I, I think it's going to be tough. And it's it's one thing. You know, just looking at it from a political angle, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. But that he said it. And 100 days from now, I think we're going to get some critiques on that because I, I, I mean, I want it to happen, but but I'm skeptical. All right. Panel stays with me. Coming up next, we're going to head back to Capitol Hill and we're going to check in with Congressman John Katko, a Republican representing New York's 24th congressional district. Uh, panel's going to stay. Max Burns, Scott Tranter. Uh, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Thrilled to have you listening. Appreciative as always. Incre- incredibly grateful that you've uh, tuned in to listen to us. Uh, much more Coming up next on Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We're following all the developments tonight on Capitol Hill, especially as it relates to the $2,000 stimulus checks in which Leader McConnell has said there will not be a vote in the Senate. He has blocked a measure put forth by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Of course, last evening, the House of Representatives passed with more than two-thirds of a majority, including including significant centrist, moderate Republican support, that piece of legislation known as the Cash Act for the $2,000 stimulus checks. I want to welcome to the program Congressman John Katko, a Republican representing New York's 24th Congressional District, as he has done since 2015. In the next Congress, he will be the ranking member on the House Committee on Homeland Security. Currently, he is the ranking member on the Cybersecurity Subcommittee, and he is uh, a member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. We'll go geopolitical in a second, Congressman. First of all, thanks for being here. But let's begin with this $2,000 checks. Does this mean, and I know you're in, in the House side, but does this mean that this is not going to happen, uh, this Congress, based on the developments that we've seen today in the Senate? I don't believe it's dead yet, and, and here's why. What they tried to do was try to uh, do a quick vote, if they will, for lack of a better term, in the Senate. Uh, and uh, that was rejected. But that doesn't mean that it's a dead issue. But I think that what I'm hearing from uh, the Senate side is on the Republican side is that they're trying to figure out if they can make it palatable to get enough of Republicans to vote for it by tying it to something like perhaps the uh, 230 issue with respect to the uh, large large uh, Internet companies or uh, some other thing that the president is interested in as well to make it more of a sweetener. So in other words, it not, have, not having it go by itself, uh, but having it tied to something that can get, bring more Republicans on board. So if they were to tie this to Section 230, and I'm learning this new uh, in real time from you, Congressman, so I appreciate this analysis. If they were to tie this to Section 230, when it would go, would it go to reconciliation because it's been dealing with unanimous, because it's gone through fast track, or what would happen? Uh, it depends on what, on, on uh, what vehicle they use to, to get it done. And uh, that's the thing. They're, run, they're running out of run, runway very quickly. I mean, Sunday morning, when we go back to Washington, D.C., we're opening a new Congress. And that, and that bill, if it's not done by them, will be dead. And uh, it may be done earlier if, uh, if certain technicalities are not met. So uh, time is of the essence. And 
I think they need to get this done as quickly as possible if they can get it done at all. So it's it's remarkable because I, I would find it hard-pressed that Democrats would get on board with the position of President Trump's issue with Section 230. Um, and that seems to be almost, dare I say, much more of a polarizing issue based upon my reporting than the $2,000 stimulus checks. Would you? Am I getting this wrong or is that? would you agree with that? Well, yeah, but I think you can look at the other side of the coin, right? The other side of the coin is $2,000 stimulus checks is a very polarizing issue for a lot of the conservative senators. I voted for it in the House, but I can, a lot of conservative senators don't think it's necessary. So if you want that done, you're going to have to give them something that, that incentivizes them to do that. So it's the old thing. You know, if you want something, you can't get 100% of everything you want. You, nobody does in their, their relationships and their personal lives, and no one does in the business world get 100% of what they want. So you can't expect to get 100% of what you want in Congress to be a successful legislator. It just doesn't work that way. And really, that's what the essence of the Problem Solvers Caucus is, is we understand that the Republican-Democratic interests and that they're often, often quite divergent. But instead of saying, my way or the highway, that's just we, we sit down t- together every week and try to figure out ways we can work together. And if it wasn't for our efforts, we wouldn't have had this COVID relief package that, that, uh, that spawned this discussion about more stimulus money. Do you feel you have more leverage heading into the new Congress because of this relief bill getting through and, the, and the, what you've proven with the track record of the caucus? Yeah, and just so everybody knows, the Problem Solvers Caucus is an equal number of Republicans and Democrats in the House of Representatives. There's 25 on each side, and our ranks are going to expand this next term. And, yes, I do think we, we this was a very significant achievement for the Problem Solvers Caucus because it showed that compromise can work, and we can break through the far left intransigence and the far right intransigence and get things done. And um, I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good sign going forward. We've shown that we can effectively lead by compromising. And you know what? It's funny because one of Ronald Reagan's favorite mantras was, I'll take her and get now and keep working on the rest. And I think we're getting back to that with the Problem Solvers Caucus. And I think this country uh, desperately needs that type of leadership right now. Let me follow up here. Congressman John Katko is with us. He's a Republican representing a district in New York. And and, and I want to go broader here, especially on this notion of how we in the media have, and we, we're, we're guilty of this many times. We always say, well, this side's saying this and this side's saying this. Or when we try to analyze parties, we say the, the far left or the far right says this, the moderates say this. You're, you're a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, and, and it's, it's the Republican chatter that I hear is, well, if we do $2,000 stimulus checks, those Republicans don't care about the $27 trillion national debt. Your response? Oh, I, I just don't think that's true. Of course, we could, we're concerned about this, and of course, we're concerned about what we're, what ki- what type of uh, uh, economic legacy we're leaving to our children and our grandchildren. And we're very concerned about that. But if you talk to most economists, they'll tell you right now that if we didn't do what we've done so far in this in this crisis, uh, the the ultimate cost and the, and the ultimate debt would have been built up because of the cratering of the economy would have been much more severe. Now, people can argue with that, but that's. I believe so. You got to try and find that happy medium between doing what's right to get us out of this terrible hole we're in, and not bankrupting the country in the, in the meantime. And it's a very difficult task. There's no question about it. But I firmly believe that inaction 
would have been much worse. All right, let's go geopolitical. Uh, and again, in the next Congress, you will be the ranking member on the House Committee on Homeland Security. And we'll, we'd love to have you back on uh, in future programs sure. as well, Congressman Katko. Uh, currently, you are the subcommittee chair, uh, ranking member on the uh, subcommittee for cy- cyber security, trying to get it all out. And um, uh, but no joking matter here about solar wind and the uh, the concern about digital infrastructure in the United States from uh, from foreign adversaries from Iran from Russia and the impact that this has had the solar winds hack uh, the Russians in this case uh, State Department uh, pointing to to the Russians for that what should what steps should the U S take to better protect its digital infrastructure from not only the private sector being vulnerable, but also from crucial national security digital infrastructure? Yeah, well, really, this, this uh, solar winds hack just shows you how vulnerable our system is, our systems in this country are. And the .gov domain is, uh, is a site of an awful lot of very sensitive information that is a lifeblood of how we protect our, 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 our citizens, but also how we run our government. And we have to make sure that the .gov domain is properly protected. And that means not only making sure the .gov domain from what we're doing as a whole at the government level, but making sure that the, the component parts that make up the .gov, the, the third parties, the supply chain. So solar winds was a supply chain uh, issue. SolarWinds was an outside company that sold software to government agencies, and the the, uh, the Russians were able to get in through a back door in SolarWinds software, and they got into our system. That's a supply chain issue that we might have to make sure that when anybody that has a, that is contributing through supplies to the .gov domain, we have to do a better job of making sure they're secure. And uh, the CISA agency, the cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at Homeland Security was stood up just a few years ago at our urging in Homeland Security. And that's going to be a big uh, point of discussion uh, this coming term on the Homeland Security Committee as a whole. I'm going to make sure of that, and I know Benny Thompson, the, uh, the, the chair of the subcommittee on the Democratic side, uh, believes the same way. It, it is a good agency, a very good agency, and it needs more resources to help us uh, better protect our systems. Congressman John Katko, I very much appreciate your time tonight, sir. Uh, He is a Republican representing the state uh, of New York. And uh, please come back on and we'll have to uh, talk about some of the bipartisan work that you've done for the foster parent community. And he is uh, actively involved in other community organizations, including um, a local foster parent program uh, in his community. Congressman Katko, very much appreciate your coming on. Uh, and again, he will be the ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee. Coming up next, reaction from the panel. Plus, what's next for them? What do they have their eye on? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Panel's still with me, Maxie Burns, Democratic strategist, contributor at the Daily Beast, the New York Daily News, and the Independent. Also, as we've learned on this program, a chef. Maxie, what did you cook for the family for the... For the uh, What's it for the holiday? Here we go, Kev. Come on, buddy. We're on. Go ahead, Max. You got us. We celebrate both Hanukkah and Christmas, so we did a lot of the best of both. In the month. We did the, the Christmas duck. We had a very Ooh. traditional, small, at home thing. It's easy when it's two people. You can go crazy with the aspirations. You know, I've food. never, I love cooking, you know, Chef Kev. But what, how do you cook a duck? Oh, it's easy. Just put it in a cool pan and heat it up slowly. Crisp up the skin and let it cook in its own fat. It's delicious. When this is over, when it's over, I'll make some for you. All right. You know what? The list, I won't hold my breath, Max. You know why? This thing, I'm hold, I will hold my breath because this thing is going to be over, but I won't hold my breath for food because Max has not ever cooked for, for any of the food he's always talked about. He's never given me any. Scott Tranner, you having a good end of the year? Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, 2020 can't be over soon enough. 2021 is going to be better, right? It has to be. <laughs> there's no other choice. There's no other choice. And we've got nothing but gratitude, and there's only a couple of days left. But 2021, we made it. I keep telling all my friends, you made it. You made it. Remember March? It's not March anymore. We only got a week left. I mean, I was talking. Who was I talking about? I think it was my mother. I said to my mom back in Delco, I said, "Do you remember March and the panic with the paper towels, the toilet paper, the the hand sanitizers? You know, I got a box that was shipped to me just the other week that I ordered in March of uh, wipes. I was trying to wipe everything down to clean everything. It just came in the mail. It was on back order. Anyway, here at Bloomberg, we're retooling and rebranding, and we're all about the future. We like to elevate the conversation. So let's elevate right now. And I want the panel to tell me what's next, what's coming next that we should be keeping our eye on. Max Burns, what's next? Uh, In the near term, on January 6th, there's a huge... uh, Unite the right, sort of stop the steal pro-Trump rally in Washington uh, with a lot of groups that have been involved in some unsavory violence and, and unrest. I'll be watching that. And then into the Biden administration, it'll be interesting to see whether we start with infrastructure week, as Biden seems to want to do, or if we start with, uh, with something more COVID focused. And I think that's really going to determine the flavor of the first few months of this administration. Oh, see what he did there? He talked about flavor. Okay, Scott Tranter, what's next? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one political, one non-political. The political thing is this. If my math is right, there's going to be 223 Democrats, 211 um, Republicans in the House, three um, Democrat uh, Congress 
Congress people are going to resign for cabinet positions and two open contests. So we're looking at a real razor-thin um, House, and uh, no matter who wins in Georgia, it'll be a real razor-thin Senate. So more legislative gridlock over the next two years, with the midterms being um, presidential level in terms of money and importance. Before and you, but wait, before oh, you tell us your second one, let me follow up on this, because gerrymandering yeah. is about to come back into the conversation. The census data— Redistrict. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, uh, I shouldn't have said the sorry word, by the way. Uh, uh, but I, I want to ask about when the when do we anticipate the census data will be released, and how might the outstanding Supreme Court decisions from the Trump administration impact redistricting in many states, such as Pennsylvania, for example, comes to mind. That could be a dramatic, dramatic development, especially in a, in a cycle where Republicans are bullish about their chances of taking back the House. Yeah, no, redistricting's a, a, a huge deal. To your first question on U.S. Census, um, the Census had a, a rough a rough year just given COVID, and they do a lot of door-to-door. So I imagine that's going to push back um, some, some of the Census deliverables. I'm not sure exactly when, but it'll be sometime they're in They're saying uh, January. Yeah, they're saying January. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hope. I, I, I want them to do a good job. So if it takes a little bit longer to tabulate or, or whatever it may be, I think it might be a little bit longer. To your point about lawsuits and redistricting and things like that, I, I think, I mean, there was a whole host of uh, uh, redistricting lawsuits for the last two years, and they were basically setting up all the lawsuits we're going to have over the next two years. A lot of them are state-based. You bring up Pennsylvania, that's a big one. There's a lot in Texas. There'll be some in Florida. There'll be some in California. Um, there's some big ones in Ohio and North Carolina. Um, and some of these are going to end up in the in, in the Supreme Court. Um, and I know both sides are going to have unprecedented um, expenditures on legal. And that's what we said in the 2020 or in the 2010 census. Um, and that's going to be, I believe there's 25 plus governors up over the next two years, state legislatures, things like that. That's where a lot of this stuff gets gets batted around as well. I mean, it is it, it, redistricting is going to be a thing. And as we learned in 2010, as we learned in 2000, it has some implications for the next decade um, on how our elections are done. So it will be a big deal. And that's probably going to be another political story to watch. What is your second what's next? I'm ho- I'm looking forward to in-person NAS games this year. I live in I live in Navy Yard, and <laughs> I was I just in Navy base. Yard the other night, and I thought it's so <laughs> sad. Oh, it I know. Is. Go ahead. It's a ghost town, but I'm looking forward to. I, I here's the hoping. I hope President Biden, President-elect Biden, is going to get 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days because that means we're well on our way to it. But I'm looking forward to in-person, in-person sporting events, specifically baseball. Hopefully, in the next three well, or six months. And listen, my Philadelphia Eagles can't make the playoffs, but uh, you know we're going to be optimistic because you know we're, we're we're focusing on the future. So I'll just have to wait till next fall to go to an Eagles game. You know what can I say? Yeah. Here's what's next for me. European Union and Chinese leaders are poised to announce a hard-fought agreement to expand opportunities in China for foreign investors. European Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen and Charles Mikkel, who chairs the bloc summits, plan to speak with Chinese President Xi Jinping in a video conference sometime today to signal the successful completion of negotiations begun in 2013 on EU and China investment pact, according to officials in Brussels. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Jonathan Stearns reporting, Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany 
which currently holds the EU's six-month rotating presidency, will also join the discussion. Two of the officials said the video conference is due to start at 1 p.m. Central European time. Uh, you know, look, the Biden administration actually, in a rare, rare uh, a, a, a signal, uh, Jake Sullivan uh, actually tweeted, who, of course, is uh, nominated, uh, of course, uh, Biden has tapped to be national security advisor, ha- had said that they questioned the timing of this, this trade agreement to be signed uh, during the uh, transition period. Uh, and no, no, uh, no doubt there's unease uh, that's being sparked, not just from Washington and the incoming administration, and as well as Republicans for that matter, but also amongst the European Union. I'm reading from the AP now, the headline on this uh, uh, story is EU and China to sign investment deal amid unease over human rights abuses uh, on, uh, from the Communist Party of China. It's a fascinating emerging trend as French President Emmanuel Macron uh, has increasingly recently uh, really signaled to the incoming Biden administration that he shares much of likely Secretary of State uh, not or Secretary of State nominee. Anthony Blinken's and President-elect Biden's uh, hesitance and skepticism, frustration, call it what you want, over uh, China. And so it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely something that we will uh, be watching. So uh, I think how Europe handles China is the broader takeaway for me and something that a President-elect Biden who has said he wants to take a different approach to Europe than the Trump administration, will they be able to get on the same geopolitical playbook? My thanks to Max Burns, Democratic strategist. My thanks to Scott Transer, CEO of Optimus, a data solution company in Washington, D.C., and of course, uh, someone with close ties to Marco Rubio. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Thank you, truly thank you, for listening. And I hope to check in with you tomorrow. To Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.